what a weekend and what a week in general for the Cleveland Guardians, who is it 17 out of 20 games they've won, more or less. No matter what happens, they are now the American League Central Division champs, and they are going to the postseason. We'll get into the weekend series. We will get into the postseason. We're going to talk some Stephen Kwan as well, as the man is Roddy Dangerfield. He just keeps getting no respect. All on today's Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. My co-host, Nacho the Cat, is here as well. And we are going to talk about the playoff-bound Cleveland Guardians on today's show. We got a weekend's worth of games. We got some Stephen Kwan to dig into. Uh, for those who don't know me, I've been the host of Lockdown Guardians for all 800 episodes. Before that, I was a lead draft and prospect analyst at Scout in 24-7. Before that, I wrote at pretty much every Cleveland sports blog. Again, focus more on the draft, but I also do a lot of statistical pieces and the like. Uh, now I am all of Locked On, and now you're Cleveland Guardians. I love the headlines. They're like, Cleveland wins first uh, American League Central since 2018. That was four years ago. Like A lot was put on the fact they haven't won one since 2018. Yeah, they only made the postseason once, and it was partially thanks to the expanded postseason and the weird 2020 season. They did have, you know, one season either way where they didn't make the postseason. It's not like this has been a huge drought. Uh, This is the youngest team in baseball right now, and this will be the first time the youngest team in baseball has made it to the postseason since the 1986 Mets. I believe they have the least amount of uh, at-bats of any player over the age of 30, uh, who has ever made the postseason. The overall youth on this squad is crazy. That's a big part of what's driven this team. Now you would think with 16 rookies debuting this year, also something that has never happened for a playoff-bound squad, that when Major League Baseball writes a list about the 11 rookies who you know you want to pay attention to in the postseason, Guardians would maybe get more than one, and that the one player they would get wouldn't be near the bottom and would be the one player who doesn't get his own write-up. Okay, Spencer Strider, he's been great. No doubt. He's been great. He's also currently hurt. Julio Rodriguez has been Julio Rodriguez. Michael Harris. I'm like, okay, so Quan's next. Nope, Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena, who has massively cooled off as the year has gone on. Don't get me wrong, he's been a strong player for Houston, but is he top three in the of the year anymore? Should he be listed anywhere ahead of Quan? No. George Kirby of the Mariners. Very strong pitcher. Top three rookie of the year? No. Let's keep going. Hunter Brown of the Astros, who's had three starts maybe, four starts. Um, Yeah, he's been really fun in his four big league outings, and he's sixth on this list. Then in in comes Stephen Kwan at seven, who then gets the same write-up as Brandon Donovan and the Cardinals. For those who know me, uh, this is the point where if you don't like the braggadociousness, you know, fast forward 10 seconds. Brendan Donovan, the other player, one of those players who I highlighted this offseason going through statistics as someone who could be an under-the-radar candidate, much like if you go back and listen to the uh, roundtable we had before the season began and everyone's going gaga over Riley Green and Bobby Witt and Spencer Torkelson. I'm like, Stephen Kwan is the dark horse here. Don't sleep on him. 
So I get some right by looking at those numbers. Uh, Jose Azucar for the Padres at 9, who I was not super familiar with because he hasn't played a ton. Then Robert Suarez, a 31-year-old rookie, as a reliever at 10. Scott Efros, who I really liked when the Yankees added him, and he was added at a pretty relatively cheap price. I was like, oh, I kind of wish the Guardians had gotten in on him, is 11. So they can get a Yankee in there. No one, no Oscar Gonzalez. He didn't have more value than two relievers at the end of this list. Come on, Major League Baseball. My goodness, every single article about the rookie of the year, I feel like just on MLB.com is terrible when it comes to Stephen Kwan. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. He doesn't get the placement he deserves, let alone the other candidates on this team. I mean, Oscar Gonzalez, uh, I could go through. I'm sure like the bullpen pieces most of those guys don't qualify but you know those are the two that jump out are oscar and kwan and the fact that oscar appears on nothing even though he's been worth uh you know he didn't play what the first three months he's been worth nearly two war and then stephen kwan who again is very clearly one of the top five rookies in all of baseball this year top three in the american league it is frustrating to say the least uh speaking of things that frustrate people I know a lot of people don't love my reactions to Tito. I, I get it. He's been around forever. He is a well-known manager, a well-respected manager. He is, you know, a name for a team that doesn't have names. Uh, him and Jose are about all that's left from those World Series runs, and I guess technically Shaw, but Shaw left for a while. It is a situation where he is a known name, a known commodity. He is well-loved and well-appreciated. My issue is I just, I don't think he is uh, as caught up on the current thoughts. You know, he gets a little too into his platoon splits. He doesn't realize when guys have reverse platoon splits. Um, and the lineup construction can sometimes be iffy. That being said, I think what Tito excels with is exactly what we saw this year. And I think Tito gets guys to play under him. I think he gets guys, motivates players. And I think... An important part of this is building bonds, building connections. Uh, was it just this weekend we saw Don Mattingly get let glow, let glow? No, let go by the Florida Marlins. That is his second coaching opportunity, I believe, and not a lot of success for him. And he has been with young teams, and why do I think it hasn't gone well? I, I don't think he builds. I don't think it's an Atita situation where you can look at it is very clear players like playing for him I, I don't think you can say the same for Mattingly who you know let's see it was the Dodgers for five years and then the Marlins for the last six seven years seven years uh and yeah it, it the Marlins had one year over 500 that was the 2020 season the Dodgers team seemed to get a lot better when he was let go so I think Certain guys can motivate players and make uh, players want to play for them, make them feel part of a team. And has Tito always done that? Not always. I mean, there are certain players that seems to have blossomed elsewhere, but that's going to happen with anyone. That's going to happen with any team. And as much as I think he is not an X's and O's type, you know, he is not uh, the the guy who knows the nitty gritty of of a lot of things nowadays. I do think that what he does is the interpersonal relationship. And I think that a lot of the guys on the team would run through a brick wall for him. So uh, again, 
my whole view on Tito is I don't think he is a bad manager by any means. I hesitate when people say, like, he's the best manager in the game. But I think if you go and you look at, you know, motivation of players, you go and you look at interpersonal relationships, he is probably the best manager in the game. I think he really excels with those relationships with his players, which honestly is probably more important in baseball than any other sport. There's been some interesting things here about how much impact does a manager really have. And all the things I complain about, you know, the, the overall impact is a few wins a year. The interpersonal stuff they can't really measure, that could be greater. That could be the most important part of the job. And I think there is, you know, a general, you know, the front office and Tito trust each other. And for the most part, they give him what he wants. And that's how we end up with Brian Shaw's our big free agent addition this year. But <coughs> sorry about that. Uh, but at the end of the day, Tito is a good manager. He excels, I think, at the interpersonal relationships. And he's also just this whole front office. And the reason it's so successful is it's been built with low ego, low stress, and just being very cognizant of what they do well knowing what works, what doesn't work, and having no issues changing things up. And that's how all of a sudden, you know, you have the pitching pipeline they have, and then the hitting pipeline, because, you know, they go out and add Chris Valeka, and I guarantee you part of that interview process was letting him, you know, telling him what they're already doing and talking to people they interviewed and being like, this is what we're doing. Are you willing to be a part of it? Yes or no. And he's the continuation of what they're starting in the minors. And, you know, Tito, I'm sure, wasn't very happy about losing his buddy uh, as the hitting coach, but he adjusted, and that give and take is why it works. And I think, again, he's a good manager. He Managing personalities is what he excels at. And I think this year with all the young players, there is, you know, it's not the easiest job to have. And, you know, I, I see a lot of people who say, you know, they don't get there without Tito. I don't know. Probably not. But I also want to say, I feel like that undermines what the management did as well to get these players. Yes, this is the team that no one believed in. And you can give credit to Tito, but I feel like in the whole scheme of things, you have to give credit to Tito and to the management who found these players, helped develop these players, who put the right coaches in place all up and down the line. I think you just go to the overall brain trust and talk about how amazing that brain trust is. And when you think about overall... Like this is the youngest team in baseball, youngest team in AAA. None of their blue chip prospects have hit yet. They have the deepest minors I've maybe ever seen. They just the pitching development has always been exceptional, and hitting development is catching up. By the way, they're going to have new ownership in five years, and this team might actually be league average payroll instead of a bottom five. Uh, just as guys like Quan and the such are when you'd have to start paying them. So they're going to be able to actually keep talent to some degree. And they're going to keep building and keep growing. And the miners haven't been touched. And it is a sleeping giant on the rise. We're going to talk about this Texas series uh, in a moment after we take a quick break from our sponsors on today's episode of Locked on Guardians. And our fantastic sponsor today are the great people over at LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have the best qualified candidates available. That's why you check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of baseball people on there. I'm on there. I've made many connections through the years to people in Major League Baseball through LinkedIn. 
Right now, add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. So I small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one overall in delivering quality candidates versus leading competitors. And LinkedIn jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free, keyword free, at linkedin.com slash MLB. That's linkedin.com slash MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Again, you can go find me at LinkedIn, and you'll find your next great hire at LinkedIn as well. So to clarify, first point, Stephen Kwan, criminally underrated right now still, even with the great year he's having. Uh, number two, Tito is top 10 manager in baseball because I think the things he does best is probably the things that are hardest to manage. And now let's get into this Texas series. I So I was sitting there thinking about it. Like, it's kind of funny. Like, there are, if you went way back to this offseason, you know, if we had predicted a team that made a lot of, you know, waves in free agency that was going to be clinching this weekend, it would have been Texas, right? Texas won the offseason. They added Seager. They added Simeon. They added John Gray. And as we've seen with the Padres, often the team that wins the deadline, wins the offseason, does not win at all. Now, the Dodgers, with that Mookie Betts trade, are the you know the other way of looking at it. They did. Listen, the Rangers were a bad team. They were picking top three for a reason this past year and been picking top three for a while. You know, I can remember going back to when I was writing up things at Scout uh, back in the good old days. And the, you know, again, I love lockdown, but Scout was a very, was the, as a writer, it was the best time of my life because we had like promotion. And I remember like draft weekend doing like 25, 30 calls uh, during drive time, during, you know, the sevens and at four. And it was, it was a fun, different time uh, to be a writer. And I also remember Texas was my worst ever drive time show because they literally, Ask me Rangers questions. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm preparing for the draft. I got nothing on the Rangers for you right now. <laughs> Adrian Beltre, I, I, you know, I'm sorry. It's not my focus. But, you know, to go back to this Rangers team, they spent a lot of money. And Cleveland was making headlines for their inaction and doing absolutely nothing. Fast forward. Well, Texas, after this weekend, is now up to the eighth overall pick in the draft. And Cleveland clinches the division. I did want to take a second. It is interesting. I had to deal so much blowback this offseason because people wanted the Guardians just to make any move. And let's say they had traded for Austin Meadows. Austin Meadows played in seven games, had 28 plate appearances. Now, there's stuff outside of baseball going on. Um, I'm sorry, that's his zips. He played in 36 games, 147 plate appearances, negative war. And there's stuff going on uh, with his mental health he talked about. So if you go back to 2021 with Tampa, He's worth only 1.7 war, a 113 runs created plus because the defense is so bad. He was a glorified DH. Uh, so there's that. And let's talk about Jess Winker, the other player that got mentioned, another glorified DH who plays left field. And Winker has been worth, by the way, 0.4 war this year. He was worth three war last year because he had a 147 and a 142 runs created plus. He's got a 105 this year. He's been strictly league average. He's always had horrible platoon splits. He cannot hit, um, let's see, he's a left. He cannot hit lefties to save his life. He can only hit righties. And defensively, he's been consistently one of the worst outfielders in baseball. What is interesting is for his career, 
his bat pip has been pretty high, like a 297 counting this year when he's at a 251. So there's a bit of bad luck for him. He'll probably rebound, but it's literally just contact. It's on base skills. He he has averageish power uh, and terrible defense, bad base running, and honestly. Seattle's gotten more trade, more value out of Suarez than Winker. Now, if Cleveland had made either of these trades, likely Stephen Kwan would not have started the season with Cleveland. So I just wanted to point that out, bring that up, that it's good to sometimes trust in their young players. And I don't know how this offseason is going to shake up just because they have so many players. It's like you got to figure who's going to actually get an opportunity, but is a nice problem to have. Let's talk about these games, right? Let's get into all of these games against Texas. I was expecting two out of three because you never really expect the sweep. Uh, my joking tweet was, which sweep is going to cause the division uh, to win this division first, Cleveland's or Chicago's? If you weren't paying attention, Chicago totally got swept by Detroit. It was kind of amazing to watch it slowly unfold. Uh, they have just I want to talk about team crumbling and that's those words are going to come back to haunt Elvis Andrews from here to the end of time. So this was Cody Morris on the mound on Friday and he has been solid. You know, the, it's very clear that his stuff is amazing. Uh, It's awesome that he is, again, this was his second outing where he went 80 pitches before these two outings, last two outings, he had only gone 60 in a game and you know, I talked about it. Like, if he had been healthy, I thought he'd be the number four, number five pitcher for this team sooner rather than later. I don't know what they'll do with him in the postseason, but I think he could be another bullpen weapon if they allow him on the roster. He may not pitch on the postseason roster. For all the great things going on, Eli Morgan, this is one of his games where he actually came in, didn't finish the inning, gave up two thirds of a run, but Henches. And 99, both did the job. 99, a little bit more of a hair-raising experience with the walk and the hit. Class A then, two hits. Not the cleanest one, but gets saved 38. Who reached base twice in this one? Well, they only had one walk. Let's try to remember. And let's see, Jimenez got hit, and Brennan got hit. And I believe Brennan had a hit as well, as did Jimenez. So they each reached base twice, as did Josh Naylor, who had the one walk. Uh Maley and Straw, the only players who did not reach base in this game. Box score bingo. So we have the nine or seven hits for Cleveland with the technically three walks. And the error gave them 11 opportunities. That should be three to four runs. They got six. The other side of things, they had nine hits, four walks. That's 13 opportunities. One hit batter, 14. And then one error. That should be about five runs. And Texas only got three. And what's crazy about Cleveland getting all the runs is they only had two extra base hits, a double and a triple. So they also stole a ton of bases. That's the other thing. Old friend, Kevin Plowecki, they knew him well. And did he, let's see, they stole five, four bases, three of them off him. Yeah, they were, (laughs) they knew he was not up for the position uh, and they certainly took advantage of it. Cleveland wins three stars in the Friday game. You know, a technically, and that's the thing. Like John Gray pitched great, five innings, one hit, one walk, one strikeout, one unearned run. Uh, unfortunately, Taylor Hearn got blitzed in the sixth inning to the, the one third of an inning, six hits, five earned runs. Nobody else gave up a hit the rest of the way or a walk. The rest of the bullpen was fantastic. 
Taylor Hearn, whew, you know, a lefty, no less. I mean, he got absolutely blitzed by Cleveland to win this game. Your three stars. I'm going to give it to Morris for five innings, six base runners, one earned run, five strikeouts. Offensively, you give it to Naylor, who had a hit and a walk, and one of those was an extra base hit. And then I'm going to give it to Will Brennan, who had a, a timely hit and had a walk and a hit batter in this one. The Rook, I kind of like what they're doing, honestly. I'm not opposed to this. <laughs> a Brennan, Straw, Quan Outfield defensively is fantastic. And then Oscar is a DH. Sign me up. I like this. Personally, this is this. This lineup, listen, I still have my issues with the med hitting too, just because either he's, when he's super hot, totally fine with it. But he goes hot, then he goes cold. And he is a the nice consistency with him is it's not like hot, cold, hot, cold. It's a streak. Uh, so I'm fine with him hitting there right now because he's hitting well. But I would love when he's cold if they move him down. But I know that will never happen. Next up in this series was the Quantrell victory. Uh, I talked about how, you know, uh, Burke had been such a good reliever. And, of course, he picks up the loss in this one. Uh, isn't he another lefty, too, on the mound? Am I wrong in that, that they got Brock Burke? Yeah, he's a lefty. So they got lefties out of the pen and uh, took advantage of both of those guys. Strong start by Quantrell. Eight base runners, five hits, three walks, over six innings. Four strikeouts, a little on the low side, but only one earned run. Henches comes in, continues to be awesome. Trevor Steffen comes in, continues to be awesome. Class A, you know what? It's save 39. Uh, it's back-to-back not clean ones, but you'll take it. Overall, Cleveland managed three walks in this game, one of them being intentional, and six hits. When you look at the box score bingo of it all, that is nine opportunities. And again, they're massive three runs. Maybe four on the high end, but much closer to three. They got their four. Texas had seven with three walks. That's 10 opportunities. They should have three to four. They only have two. And Cleveland, in this one, it was the extra base hits. It was the home run, two home runs by Oscar Gonzalez to get him up to 11. Andres Jimenez getting up to 17. Another triple by Rosario, back-to-back games, and a pair of doubles. So that's just a ton of extra base hits. It's what, six extra base hits? They managed six hits. They didn't have anything that wasn't an extra base hit in this game. Who reached base twice? Well, Ahmed, Oscar, Andres. That's all six of their hits, too, by the way. It was three guys, six hits, all went for extra bases. Strong performance by Cleveland. Again, they came, it was a strong lefty, probably Texas's best lefty, a guy who will get Rookie of the Year votes, who they were able to break open here. Glenn Ott, who I want to say was Rice University, who came over, I want to say, in the Gallo deal. Three hitter, one run, three strikeouts. Cleveland struggled with the starters, but man, they got to the bullpen. Matt Moore, another strong lefty reliever for Texas. They also got a run off of him in this one. Uh, Three stars in this game. I'm giving it to the three hitters. Ahmed, who had a double and a triple. Oscar, who had a pair of home runs. And Andres, who had a home run and a double. I think those are the clear three stars in this game. Now let's talk about the clincher. And I don't mean that like clinching your muscles or anything like this. Because this game, uh, it felt pretty out of reach pretty early on if we're you know going to get into it. Uh, Stephen Kwan gets him on the board with the, uh, the single to get Miles Straw across in the third. They would get four runs there. Texas gets some runs back to make it 4-2. to two, And then 
Arias gets a triple, and then Quan hits the grand slam to kind of, well, kind of to put it out of reach to give him that ten point lead. For him, that's home run number six. And by the way, that triple by Arias was the only other extra base hit. So day after, all they had was extra base hits. They had ten hits today, only two for extra bases. In terms of walks, they had three of them, and Maley did get hit by a pitch, so that's four. Three errors on Texas, so that is 17 opportunities. That should be about five to six runs. They got 10. The other side of things, two errors by Cleveland. You know, it's very unlike them. Plus six hits for Texas, plus the one walk should be about nine. or It's nine opportunities, should be about three runs, and instead it was four. Uh, Texas only had a double. It's not like they were big on the uh, bonuses. Cleveland still running like mad, knowing that the the uh, the bench was was very weak. Quan on top of the grand slam had two stolen bases. Straw had one. I think they're now tied for the team lead at nineteen. And it was also nice just to see like Arias in a game. Like he hasn't had too many opportunities. Freeman back out there, uh, especially now that this division is clinched. Is that even the word I want? I feel like it's, uh, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, that maybe we'll see a few more of the young kids play as we move down the stretch. Uh, in this game, who reached base twice? Well, Quan had three hits, and then you had uh, uh, Oscar. No, he didn't have that. I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong. Quan did have three hits. Owen Miller had a hit and two walks. You had a hit and a walk by Arias. Two hits by Freeman and th- two hits by Straw. Uh, Savali five innings. Two earned runs, three hits, seven strikeouts. That's stellar. Kirk McCarty. I mean, he's he. You know, look at those last few uh, bullpen rolls. He's been better than you think. Two innings, one hit, two strikeouts. Shaw. Listen, the RA is five and a half for a reason. Are there any Shaw defenders left? We got into it for a bit on there, but he should not be on the postseason roster. Let's be honest. He should not be. If like Cody Morris is sitting at home, so you can have Brian Shaw. That is a mistake. Shaw, one inning, one earned run, two total runs, two hits, a walk and a strikeout. 99 comes out and has a brilliant ninth. And again, for the people who say I'm hating on him, that's just the role I want to see him in. I want to see him come out with nobody on base. I think that is his ideal role just because he has such a deliberate approach. Three stars in this one. Savale's got to get one of them. I think Quan's got to get one of them. So after that, it really comes down to you know, who did you give it to Freeman with two hits? I'm going to give it, well, he had an error as well, didn't he? Part of me is like, give it to Arias, but he had a, a critical error. Let's let's give it to, I guess we give it to Straw then, because if we're going to go for a multi-hitter, then Straw had two hits and a stolen base. By the way, 218 average, 561 OPS. He continues to move on up. Uh, in the grand scheme of offensive production. He's getting closer to Owen Miller than he is to Austin Hedges. A nice change to see. Uh, big sweep, championship, obviously all of that. We're going to take our next break and come back and do a little bit of odds and ends to finish up today's show. So let's talk Zach Plesak. He made his rehab start on Saturday. Five scoreless innings in Columbus. 65 pitches, two hits, struck out five. I think he'll get caught up. We'll get to see it before the end of the the year. Uh, I am curious what his further role would be. Like right now, I don't know who the four starter is if this team's in the postseason, just because of health has been such a big issue. Uh, other things I wanted to take a moment and discuss with you uh, in regards to uh, this past weekend. 
with this, it seems more and more that Cleveland will get Seattle. And as much as I was nervous about facing Seattle, Seattle also didn't they blow an 11-2 lead on Sunday? Cleveland is rising and they are falling. And sometimes it's just about being very hot at the right time. And that is what Cleveland is. So I'm not not terribly nervous about that. Uh, I was talking with someone who was like, uh, it was a Mariners fan who's like, wasn't Cleveland's infield kind of bad this year? Because I was talking about why did Cleveland get here, right? And it's partially, it's their stellar defense. It's their stellar base running. It's the bullpen and the pitching in general. And just in terms of outs above average, which they're asking about. Andres Jimenez, by the way, top defender on the team. Miles Straw, two. Stephen Kwan, three. Owen Miller, it still has four. Ernie Clement, five. Naylor, six. Jose, seven. And the negative range is Oscar and Ahmed. Should speak out and say, if you missed it, Ernie Clement was claimed by, um, not Houston, Oakland. Wrong team out west. And the reason I say that is, you know, a lot of people are like, there's no way he's getting claimed. And other people are like, Cleveland left him. Guys who can run a little, play multiple positions. You know, Eric Stemetz got another job after leaving Cleveland. And it was pretty miserable when he was here. Guys like John McDonald and Joe Inglet can last forever. And that's what Clement is. And then just there is this big tendency I mean, right now more than ever, it is definitely like Cleveland versus the world because no one wants to give this team credit. They want to talk about that it's a bad division, that this is a lucky team. It's not a lucky team. Like, I went through and pulled out the stats. If you want to talk about, like, offensive luck, they're currently 15th, middle of the pack, 290 bat pip. So their batting average of balls put in play. For a team with their speed, one could argue they've been unlucky this year. If you're wondering about their pitching, they're 10th and 5th which is the best metric I know for predictive values of pitchers, at least my favorite. Uh, in terms of bullpen FIP, they're fifth overall and second in the second half behind Houston. That's how good they've been. Base running, uh, which is stat fan graphs kind of quantifies down, they're fifth in baseball. And in terms of the user 150, which you need a lot of data to make work, and often I'll be the first to admit, it's one of those stats you want to look at over – multiple years they're number one in baseball this isn't a fluke this isn't a team that's like just playing well because they're in a weak division listen Chicago's a good team they've had a bad manager and some other things go wrong but that's still a good team Minnesota is a solid team they're teams that are collapsing down the stretch and health has been an issue for the twins in particular but Cleveland is not just a one and done this is not a team that is just there because the Central didn't have anyone to throw out. Cleveland has the second-best run differential in the American League in the second half. It is a team that was full of rookies that just keep getting better and having fewer and fewer doubts. Talent keeps ascending. They have a top two that I'll match up against any other teams and a top three that's solid. The bullpen, I will argue, is the best in baseball. In terms of base running and defense, they can stand with any team. Yes, I would have loved if they had made a trade for, say, Christian Walker at the deadline, and we'll discuss him at some point this offseason because we do know that Cleveland made a play for Matt Olson. If you want to find the closest thing you can find to Matt Olson, potentially in this offseason's trade market, it's Christian Walker. And with their depth, it's it's definitely something to consider. It's not for today's show when they've won the American League Central, but this is a team that, you know, underestimate at your own risk. People are going to keep doubting them, but there aren't things in there that say that this is a team 
that is lucky that this is a team that's smoke and mirrors. If you watch this team, they make so many, they make other teams make so many unforced errors. Teams know they run well. Teams know they're out of the box quickly. Teams, you could just watch, was it today's game or was it Saturday's game where there's the, the throw to home plate where, you know, instead of taking the time to make the correct throw, they put more pressure on teams because they run so well. They do things so headily, uh, which again is credit to Tito. So I, I, I think anyone who's just going to sit out there and be a hater who has not actually watched this team, who has not followed this team, who doesn't know anything beyond the American League's bad, just ignore them because this is a fun, fun team. Uh, and if you're not enjoying this team right now, I just I don't know what to tell you. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Guardians podcast for this week. Remember to rate and review and download daily. It really helps. It would be nice if we can crack the top 10 podcasts again. We've cracked it twice, and both times we've cracked the top 10 podcasts. They didn't do a newsletter that week for the, the network. It's almost every week that happens. Of course, twice that it happens. Can't control it. Uh, we'll tell you over on the YouTube, we're up to 671 subscribers. Big push for 1,000. We're 329 away. If you are listening now and you haven't subscribed, please do. Listen, I have two Gmail accounts. Both of them are subscribed. My work account is subscribed and my personal account uh, it's, it's big because the minute we get to a thousand, I can make, I don't make anything off of YouTube, nothing at all from that. It all, the only bonus to it is, uh, the fun interaction. And I appreciate everyone who's part of that. So please, please, please. This is the point where I beg you, uh, if, if you can subscribe, if you know someone else who's willing to subscribe and it's free and if you enjoy the show, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Guardians podcast of your American League champion, Cleveland Guardians. And as I end every show, go, go, champion, Guardians, go.